What's up everybody? Welcome to Foundflix. On this inning explain, we're looking at Smile, where we follow Dr. Rose after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient. Afterwards, she begins to experience frightening occurrences that she cannot explain. In order to survive, she will have to confront her past and escape her horrifying new reality. Good luck with that. Smile came out to huge numbers and impressively became one of the biggest horror movies of the year. It's also an original movie, which is a plus too. Well, Kind of, as the plot is almost a complete lift from It Follows. It's kind of weird. Overall, the movie is solid, but not exactly mind-blowing. It's got a nice dreary atmosphere that certainly fits the story, and does have a few very solid jump scares. They actually got me every time I watch this. The real standout is Sosie Bacon in the lead role. She is put through an emotional ringer here, and she gives a fully committed performance. Yes, she is also the kid of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. Look just like him. It's crazy. However, the subject matter presented here is quite dark and troubling. So this is your trigger warning regarding mental health issues as well as taking your own life and stuff like that, because that is entirely what the movie revolves around. It definitely gets a bit tiring by the end because it never lets up with its aggressively bleak nature. It's also a bit strange as the movie's message seems to be all about the importance of dealing with our mental health and providing support when people need it no matter what. But then the ending kind of undercuts the whole thing, which I found totally bizarre. So we'll definitely dig into that in detail. Let's check out Smile, breaking down the story, including what the curse is all about, and just what is the outcome of the ending? Is there truly a monster, or is it all in Rose's troubled mind? Let's find out. We begin in Rosie's pertinent childhood memories, and at the moment her mom is looking quite dead. There's trash along with pills strewn all over the floor and piles of laundry, all certain signs of struggling with mental issues. We keep panning past family photos, and it looks like the husband must have passed at some point because he is suspiciously absent in later photos and events. Perhaps this could have been what led to her downward spiral. Little Rose appears in the doorway, staring inquisitively at her mother as she begins to shriek. Rose is awoken now as an adult to her phone ringing. She's gone off to help others with mental issues, having ascended to becoming a doctor. A guy Carl at the hospital is troubled, muttering to himself, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, everyone is gonna die. Rose is tasked with helping him out and calmly takes a seat. He keeps repeating the same phrases and she gets right up on him while tears well in his eyes. She waits and gently tells him hello and inquires what's going on. He spews that he's dying, but she tries to bring him back down. No, you're not. You're just having another manic episode. He shuts this down. She doesn't understand what he's going through. She can't possibly know. He's wheels, that he can feel it all around him and is scared. Rose coos that she gets that he thinks what is happening is real, but promises that it can't actually hurt him. She decides to put him under observation, and he's carried out by orderlies. Rose is confident that he's harmless, but asks for the staff to make sure to keep an eye on him just in case. Yet Carl will be the least of her concerns, as another patient is wheeled in at the ER in complete hysterics. She first has to tin with her boss Morgan, who chides her for wasting too much money. The board is barking down his throat, but she argues that their purpose here is to help people, not make money, maybe the board can take that into consideration, dicks. It's all regarding a previous patient, Sarah, that she was trying to help, and unfortunately she had no insurance. But he clarifies that he's not questioning her judgment, just ask him ahead of times before doing stuff like that. There are other concerns regarding Rose, she's been overworking herself, and he urges her to leave work already. She finally packs it in after an incredibly long day, but there will be no reprieve, getting another phone call as soon as she sets foot out the door. It's regarding Laura and an urgent state, and Rose is informed with the little they know about her. Not much beyond that she was brought in for an incident last week. Her professor blood 
bludgeoned himself to death right in front of her, and she was the only witness. Rose enters the room, finding Laura hiding behind the door, looking shaken up. Rose attempts to approach, and Laura looks scared and cagey. She invites her to sit, and the girl sheepishly makes her way to the chair. She asks her some basic questions, like what day of the week is it, and Laura quickly grows frustrated. She's not crazy, she's a PhD candidate. Rose wants her to calm down and ask what's going on. Laura sputters that she's seeing something that no one else but her can see. It looks like people, but isn't a person. Rose doesn't get it, and her patient starts getting upset. It pretends to look like other people she knows, or even random strangers. Even her grandfather that died right in front of her when she was a child. Establishing an early trauma that informs everything else in her life to a degree. Rose asks if she sees it right now, and she vigorously shakes her head now. What happens when you do? Well, it's smiling at her. And not a friendly smile, mind you, but a really creepy one. The worst that she's ever seen in her life. It gives her a bad feeling that something terrible is going to happen to her. Rose assumes that she must have a family history of illness, asking if anyone else in her family has had hallucinations. But Laura resolutely states it's not a hallucination. Whatever it is has taken over her life and mine, and even tells her things. It told her that today's the day, but stops herself before saying the word, you know. Today's the day that she dies. Rose continues on the basic psychological track, but Laura doesn't think that she's really listening. This is serious stuff. Laura is dismayed and begins to sob. She's going to die and no one will listen to her. Laura turns back to face her and is suddenly freaked out by an invisible entity falling right out of her chair. Laura gasps and chokes on the floor and Rose rushes to the emergency phone to call for help. She spins back and Laura is gone, noticing a shattered flower pot on the ground. Laura is standing nearby with a toothy grin, wielding a piece of the pot. She jabs it into her face, carving along the entire way, all while maintaining that creepy ass smile. Rose is horrified at the sight and Laura soon slumps over dead. As we will come to understand, Rose witnessed this suicide and the curse has now spread onto her. Oh, and just in time after the girl is definitely dead, the staff come rushing to her aid. Yeah, thanks guys, thanks for the rush, jeez. Rose later discusses the incident with the police and one detective is dismissive while another Joel is strangely sympathetic. Wonder why they used to date. They're attempting to get an image of Laura's mental state at the time and Rose tells them that she could be suffering from acute post-trauma psychosis. She was having paranoid delusions and was convinced that some kind of evil presence was haunting her. Yikes, the other detective jokes, also not taking the story seriously. Joel steps in that they have to try to explain to the family what happened and are just doing their best to make sense of everything. Is there any other insight that she can provide? Rose pauses to think and remembers that she was smiling, which sounds crazy to the skeptical guy. Her body is seen lying dormant in the morgue with the bloody smile carving soaking right through the sheet. Mm. Rose goes home and is greeted by the one and only stinky mustache the cat. And like any animal introduced out of nowhere in a horror movie, I'm like, uh-oh, that cat is gonna die, isn't it? Rose goes for a change of clothes and notices some residual blood on her blouse, sending her right into the shower to hopefully clean all the filth off. Afterwards, she serves herself a healthy pour of wine to calm her nerves, but then grows more uncomfortable. It looks like Rose feels something else is in the room with her. She stares hard into one particular corner, and we can definitely see a figure there, and it's Laura standing there, still smiling and appearing much more ghoulish. Though she'll have to put the spirits on hold for now, when her fiancé Trevor arrives, shaking her out of her state. He can tell that something is wrong, and when Rose spills what happened, he is supportive, taking her in his arms lovingly. He wants to know what else he can do, and Rose acknowledges that this is at least a nice start. He thinks that they should bail on their dinner plans, but her sister already got a sitter and everything. She doesn't want to deal with her potential wrath, so 
It's off to dinner. Yet Rose finds that she cannot focus on the conversation, becoming a Peanuts parent's womp womp of disconnection as she stares off in his face. Rose is dealing with some real personal issues, while her sister Holly is complaining about having no time thanks to her stupid kids. She wants to know if Rose is coming on Saturday. She doesn't remember the plan, and she reminds her that it's their kid Jackson's big seventh birthday. Gosh, she told her like five times about it already, and I'm going, yeah, Jackson's seventh birthday party. I love to be there. Rose declines as she has to work, and the couple doesn't get it. Work on a Saturday? And if she is a doctor, shouldn't she be at least making bank, right? Trevor steps in to defend his fiance. She loves being a doctor and would do it for free. The subject turns to the sister's childhood home. Holly and Greg agree they should just bulldoze it and sell it for the land. But Rose begs to differ, barking for them to shut the fuck up. She cannot let go of the past and her personal trauma revolving around the house. The couple return home, and he again expresses concern about her state, but Rose insists that she's fine. She doesn't seem so fine in the morning, staring blankly once more while the coffee maker does its thing, appropriately with a smiley face mug. Just put a smile on, Rose. <laughs> Clearly still interested in Laura's case, she asks the head nurse about the previous incident in which she was involved, although the nurse reminds her that there are other patients that need her attention as well. Out of nowhere, her ex Joel the detective appears. He happened to be on a call nearby and wanted to stop by to see how she's doing. He didn't get a chance to talk during that interview. Rose stays distant, asking why he's even here. He he was just concerned, and she shuts him down. She appreciates it, but does not need him checking in on her. Joel stammers that he gets it and apologizes, making his way back to other pressing matters. Well, that was certainly awkward. Already we can tell that Joel is the only one that actually really cares about Rose, which becomes increasingly clear as things progress. Rose leaves, still in her own world, and the head nurse pipes up to Joel that she's engaged, but offers that she's single. Hey! Rose digs deeper into Laura's previous incident. Mr. Munoz was wielding a claw hammer and bludgeoned himself to death, smiling the whole time. Holly calls wanting to bury the hatchet after their dinner. They're both dealing with a lot of stuff right now, you know. Rose gets distracted, looking out the window, seeing Laura out in the parking lot. Holly continues rambling on about a present for Jackson, and Rose isn't really listening after what she witnessed. Oh yeah, he wants a train or whatever. Do kids even know what a train is nowadays? They're like, put me in my TikTok flying jet to get the Wendy's. The future is bright. Rose is looking more haggard, making a solemn trek down the patient's halls, and comes to Carl. It looks like the curse has gotten to him, sporting a big blank smile. Rose is horrified and snaps in his face to no reaction. He then chirps his mantra about how everyone is going to die and turns it to her. You're going to die, he rants, getting more and more animated. She shrieks for help to have him restrained, but then we see he's actually just lying peacefully in bed, meaning that Rose cannot trust what she's seeing anymore, which makes her even more distraught. Her maverick actions lead to other hand slappings from Kumar. After all, Carl has been in and out of this place a bunch of times and never was violent. Rose is assumes that he thinks she's full of beans, and he defends, of course not, but pins her particular current state on what happened with Laura. Something traumatic like that would have an effect on anyone. She tries to speak to her actions, but Morgan wants her to just take some time off, and nothing else to get some sleep after working herself to the bone for so long. Rose seeks solace in the solitude of her car, looking overwhelmed. She takes some breaths to try to calm herself down, but everything is turning upside down in her world, as every wide shot reminds us. Perhaps she can still hang on to her sanity? When stuck in traffic, she remembers about Jackson's upcoming birthday. He wanted to train or something. She purchases an engine without issue. So hey, maybe she is gonna beat this thing after all. At home, she cracks open the fridge, descending right upon the wine. It's time to wrap up baby Jackson's engine, grabbing some paper at the closet. She gets a disappointing text from Trevor. He's still stuck at work, so she's all on her own along with her demons. With trembling hands, Rose fetches another pour of wine. She gets a shock when the intruder alarm starts blaring. She drops a glass and grabs a weapon to see what's the disturbance. The front door 
is still locked, but she's still distraught after shutting off the alarm. Her feeling was warranted, finding the back door that was just behind her now blowing open. She calls 911, and the dispatcher asks for details, but things soon feel off. You haven't let something inside, have you, Rose? Look behind you, she says cryptically. Rose takes her sweet time, turning to look back, and the phone rings again, seeing the receiver wasn't even in her hand, meaning we definitely can't trust Rose's reality anymore. Rose answers again, and it's the alarm company echoing the same questions from her vision. The police do check out the area, but turn up nothing out of the ordinary. Trevor happens to return home during all the ruckus, baffled by what's going on. They discuss things, and she doesn't even remember setting the alarm in the first place. She fills him in about what happened at work, and he does his best to console her. Yet he is growing more concerned when noticing that she's broken another wine glass. Seriously, dude. Mustache has also somehow vanished, not responding when she clangs the bowl and calls the feline to dinner. She has another dream, with her mom lying in bed, only to surprisingly gasp awake, and Rose wakes up too. Unable to sleep, she pours over her interview with Laura. At one particular moment, she hears some indistinct whispering in the background. She hones right in on it, and it's someone saying her name in a breathy voice. She is instantly terrified, going for a knife, and Trevor enters doing what he can to bring her back to reality. It's getting harder and harder. Knowing she is in desperate need of help, she goes to her old therapist, Dr. Madeline. Rose tells her about Laura and how she felt, her admitting that she feels guilty over what happened. Madeline thinks the guilt is really all about her mother's suicide. Does she still blame herself? This is clearly at the core of her and her trauma, but Rose isn't quite willing to dig into that part of her life just yet. She's really just here to get a prescription, as ever since the patient, she's been seeing and hearing things. To Madeline, she doesn't seem delusional or psychotic, believing that it's all been triggered by old anxieties compounded with stress. The wounds of her past have not healed and possibly never will. The trick is to find out how to get control over it, and they agree to resume regular sessions. Rose gets dolled up and tries to force a smile, but it quickly fades back into nervous energy. She does make a surprise appearance at Jackson's party to her sister's delight, but things don't stay normal for too long. As they sing the birthday song, the sound fades away to her heartbeat, and Rose is suddenly in a far-off daze. The boy starts tearing open his presents, and soon it's Auntie Rosie's turn. He opens it up, and things get quickly uncomfortable, as he pulls out Mustache's body, and Rose is beside herself, yowling for her furry friend. Her sister calls her a loon, but Rose defends that she didn't do this to the hushed crowd. The girl appears in a chair smiling, and Rose shrieks to leave her alone. She reactively falls back, crashing painfully through a glass table, tearing her arms up good. Oh boy. She's brought to the hospital, and word quickly gets back to her boss about what happened. She downplays it all as just being an accident, and Rose gets more worried, seeing Trevor outside talking to her sister. Morgan is also trying to express concern, but she's way off in the distance, not even listening. The couple return home in complete silence, and Rose decides to broach the truth to him, as crazy as it might sound. Something is threatening her, some kind of evil spirit or energy. She doesn't know what it is, but believes that it killed her patient. The same odd things that she described before her death are now happening to her. Now this curse is somehow attached to her, obviously. Trevor tries to take all this in, but has no idea how to respond to any of that madness. He turns cold, asking if she hears herself. She sounds crazy. She screams that she's not, and he brings it all back to her mom. Mental illness can be inherited from a parent, right? He says he even looked it up online, which only incenses her further. He defends that he wanted to know more about who he would be spending the rest of his life with. Is that so unfair? He's about to go inside, but has another question. Did she kill the cat? No, it wasn't her. It was the thing, she starts to explain, but he's had enough of her nonsense. She dives even deeper into researching Laura's case and her professor, Munoz. Suddenly, her mom's voice whispers her name from the other room. Come here, she beckons, but we only see darkness. Rose decides to try and ignore it and get some sleep, but the voice won't leave her alone. Rose, baby, she coos. Please help me. Mommy made a mistake. Rose starts whimpering, repeating no to herself. Her mom then appears in the doorway, shouting her name, and she suddenly is out in the street, nearly getting hit by 
a car. Wow, she's really losing touch on reality as time goes on. Literally just jumping around in times and locations on a dime. Hopeful for answers, she seeks out Munoz's widow to find out more. She noticed small changes in him at first, then everything happened much more quickly. He was always on edge, paranoid, and would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Then he stopped sleeping altogether and told her that he was seeing things. He would even do strange things and wouldn't even remember. Then one morning, he was gone forever. The police called to tell her that he was dead, and she had to ID the body, seeing his face is horribly disfigured and twisted. How did that happen? Yeesh. She gets emotional. After 25 years of marriage, that image will be her last memory of him. Yeah, that's a bummer. Rose asks if he ever described what he was seeing, and she can do one better, taking her to his office. It's covered in various drawings of troubling dark images, in particular a creepy smile surrounded by blackness. There's another drawing of Munoz's dead brother, which he said he never got over. Hmm, starting to sound familiar here. His descent all started when he was at his yearly conference and saw a woman take her own life there. She's all, hold your horses, finally starting to see the pattern here. Rose gets a little aggressive her questions. Did he find out any more about what's really going on here? She's confused by who Rose really is, and she divulges that she's going through the same thing that her husband was. She pleads to give her the woman's name, but she shuts her down and kicks her out on her ass. Increasingly desperate for help, she turns to Joel. He assumes that it must not be a friendly call after her earlier cold shoulder, and she admits that she's here because she needs a favor. She tells him all about Munoz, and wants to find out if he was involved in any other police reports. He groans that it's his day off, but ultimately does decide to pitch in. He finds a report regarding the earlier woman, Angela Powell, she learns. Somehow, only now is she really putting the pattern together. Someone watches someone die, and then goes to take their own life, continuing the chain of sorts. They find another video backing this up, as a man randomly strolls up at a gas station and gouges himself with a pair of garden shears right in front of some lady. And yet, when zooming in, they see he is bearing an eerie smile, just like Laura did. Now Joel is even more full of questions. What the hell is going on here? But she doesn't have time to explain, asking him to print off some of the files. Now word from this week's sponsor, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best minds anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. They have a huge variety of different classes for no matter what you're interested in. For me, I gravitated more towards the arts and entertainment. There's a ton of great stuff just there alone. From Steve Martin teaching comedy, Aaron Sorkin on screenwriting, Werner Herzog on filmmaking, and one of my all-time faves, David Lynch on creativity and filmmaking. I mean, come on! But what I really wanted to check out, first of all, was the Duffer Brothers on developing an original series. I'm sure that's no surprise. Of course, Stranger Things is a massive hit, and their class provides an engaging and informative peek behind the process of creating a story. I'm impressed by just how high quality the classes are, and they really dig into every detail behind their process, from the germ all the way to completion. And it isn't just some little taste. Their total course is about six hours long, giving you a ton of content and insight and knowledge to get through. I was seriously blown away, and I'm legit excited to finish their class as well as check out a ton of others. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash ending today. That's masterclass.com slash ending. Terms apply. Now a word from our sponsor, Mint Mobile. This holiday season, it's the perfect time to make a switch to Mint Mobile. Right now, if you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. It's the perfect gift. What's better than staying in touch with loved ones, especially at the holidays? Every plan comes with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And they have plans starting at only 15 bucks 
bucks a month by going online only, they've eliminated the traditional cost of retail and pass all those savings on to you. Speaking of savings, think of how much you can save with that holiday buy three, get three months free deal. You're just stacking up the savings, baby. What's probably best of all is just how easy it is to get set up. You can get a SIM sent to you in the mail for free. All I had to do was replace my old one with theirs. And I was using my phone with Mint Mobile service in a flash. I was gabbing away in no time with crystal clear calls. For a limited time, buy any three month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com ending. That's mintmobile.com ending. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com ending. She finally has a solid lead, but encounters a roadblock at home. What appears to be an intervention courtesy of Trevor and Madeline. He admits that he called the doctor because of her unhinged behavior lately, but she understandably feels betrayed. She went to him and told him all this stuff in confidence. He's supposed to be the one person she can trust in the world, but scoffs that he didn't listen at all. She really digs a knife in, saying that he's just fine if everything's easy, but if things get real or difficult, all he's really worried about is how it messes up his perfect life plan. He's baffled at the accusation. If she thinks that, why are they even together? She then growls for the doctor to make herself at home and storms off. Wow, well, I guess their relationship is over. I get why she's upset, but we also don't really see Trevor act like a dick or anything. He does seem to be at work a lot, but that's really all we know about him as a character. Point being, I'm not sure if she was actually justified in what she said, or if it was more of an emotional outburst and frustration. Either way, Bye-bye, Trev. <laughs> With that door closed for good, she turns to another, her sisters, but her story of curses and entities does not help their already strained relationship. Holly puts her foot down. Curses aren't real. She must be going through some kind of mental breakdown. Rose complains that she's not listening. Man, she says that a lot, like I said. And Holly gets emotional. This same thing happened to their mom, and she's starting to sound just like her. Uh-oh. Then the gloves are off. Rose blaming Holly for not being around when their mom died. She disagrees. Because of her being older, she got the brunt of their mom's insanity. She had to leave in order to survive. With tears in her eyes, she apologizes, but points out Rose's major issue. Holly did everything that she could to move on with her life, while Rose still can't handle what happened, even punishing her sister for it. Rose fires back, at least she's helping people, instead of being a useless housewife. This brings Holly to her breaking point, telling her that she doesn't want her around, meaning yet another line of support for Rose has been unceremoniously cut. She opts her car and attempts to calm down, and it appears her sister is making her way out to possibly make amends. She knocks on the door, and her head twists horrifically down at her. Yeah, that one got me. Then there's a moment here that is not supposed to be funny, but for some reason the way it plays out made me really laugh. We pull out, seeing that Rose is having a full-on meltdown all alone, and we pan over to Jackson, watching her terrified at the window. Like, what the hell is wrong with that lady? She ruined my birthday, and now she's freaking out alone in the car. And what was with the dead cat for a present? Hours later, she's still breaking down in a diner parking lot. But hey, still gotta eat! And she enjoys a brief hamburger interlude to her mania. There is fresh hope when she gets another call from Joel. He's dug further into this whole thing and found 20 cases with 19 suicides, meaning one person was able to dodge their fate. It sounds like he saw someone die, and then he turned the tables, as out of the blue, a few days later, he murdered some random neighbor. There also happened to be an eyewitness to that murder, allowing the pattern to continue onwards. On the way to meet him, they discussed the case, yet Rose still isn't so sure if Laura actually did take her own life. She was scared, not suicidal. Then there was a distinct change in her. The person that she was talking to was gone, and something else had taken over. Then there's more troubling news, 
news, as Joel reveals that there was only a week between the victims, sometimes not even four days. She sighs as it's her fourth day right now, and he vows that he's not gonna let anything happen to her. And hey, at least someone is willing to support her through all this. She sits down with the man Tally and fibs that it was actually one of her patients going through this whole mess. She asks point blank, what is it? But unfortunately, he doesn't know any more than her. He did do research into the curse and was able to find several other chains around the world, including one in Brazil from a few years back. As for how he survived, it's as suspected. He escaped by killing his neighbor and passed it on to his wife, who was the witness. So her patient is gonna die unless they kill someone. And you gotta make sure there's a witness too, as it needs trauma to spread. He even believes that that is what gives it its power. Oh, and you gotta make it bloody too. The more gruesome, the better, apparently. Hearing the idea, Rose reactively blurts out, I can't kill someone, and drops her lie. Understanding that she has it, he gets really upset and flips out until he's taken away by guards. There is still Dr. Madeline who reaches out to her, but she declines the call. Looks like she's gonna do things her own way now. She pours over the crime scene photos, nervously biting her nails. When she gets a call from Trevor, it causes her to bite too hard, yanking a chunk of nail off. She washes up and then suddenly does seem overtaken by something. She tentatively reaches out for a kitchen knife, but is stopped by Madeline showing up unexpectedly outside. Madeline goes right in on the ghost thing, Rose correcting that she never said that specifically. Regardless, she tells her it's not happening anymore, chalking it all up to just being stressed. So we good? Madeline inquires how she's feeling today. Rose scoffs, well, her husband thinks she's crazy, her sister has shut her out, and now her former therapist is making surprise house calls to ensure that she's not in danger. Other than that, she's great. Yeah, whole life falling apart, no big deal. Thanks, doc. The phone begins to ring, and Rose just sits there chomping at her nails until Madeline asks if she's gonna get that. She answers with a gruff, what? And it's Madeline, as in the real Madeline, meaning this thing here is not her. Faux Madeline begins to smile and tells her in a demonic voice, it's almost time. She rises to her feet and Rose fumbles to get away. Madeline begins to laugh at her and overtakes her. She gets right up in her face, growling with spittle dangling from her lips. Grody. She's suddenly in her car and we see that she did go for the kitchen knife after all. She stuffs it in her sleeve for safekeeping and see that she's at the hospital, making us go like, uh-oh, what is she doing there? She slinks through the halls and her nurse pal notices her. Hey, aren't you supposed to be on leave? She fibs if she's just grabbing something real quick. It's no big deal. She then makes her way to Carl's room where he's mumbling away as usual. He turns around to face her and is immediately terrified when seeing her. She tries in vain to calm down and he starts shrieking, huddling in the corner. Morgan pops in, baffled by what's going on as usual. She goes for the blade and plunges it deep into Carl's chest, both weirdly staring at each other. She keeps repeatedly stabbing, both screaming in unison, which was also kind of funny. Morgan then shouts in horror and proceeds to peel off his face. Uh, another dream. She wakes up back in the car and well, it's probably for the best that that didn't actually happen. The real Morgan shows up and asks, what is she doing here? She doesn't know and he invites her inside to talk, thinking that she shouldn't be alone. This actually gives her an idea. She should be alone and Morgan gets more aggressive, especially after noticing the big old knife in the seat. There's a flash of a bloody curl that causes her to freak and she peels away, still frantic. She gets a call from Joel as the hospital has put out an APB on her, describing her as dangerous. She is undeterred and knows what she has to do. As long as she's alone, she can deprive the curse of what it needs. He tries to point out the inherent flaws in that plan, can't just hide forever, but that's not her real intention. She's not going to run anymore. She's gonna face her past trauma head on. Let's do it, baby. That means it is time for a pilgrimage back to her childhood home, and the place looks like it has been sitting unattended for many years. She steps inside, taking in the decaying walls and forgotten furniture. It's not all bad memories, though, pausing at a doorway with marks for her and her sister's growth spurts. Her attention is then drawn to a dark door down at the end of the hall, hearing a weird groaning that grows louder. It mutates into full-on wailing, and she takes a deep breath before going for the knob. The noises cease, and she's back into her childhood memories 
memories. She enters the room and her mom is breathing raspily and calls for help. Rose, baby, help me please. The same things heard in the bedroom that one night. Mommy made a mistake, she slurs, ordering her to get the phone and call for help. Rose shakes her head adamantly, no, and slams the door closed. And now we know exactly what happened that Rose has been struggling with dealing with her whole life pretty much. She didn't help her mom and ultimately this caused her to die. Now it's not really her fault though, of course. And we don't know how much the family has been put through already at this point because of her. Rose goes around the house, locking all the doors and shutting the blinds, completely closing herself off from the outside world. At night, she tiptoes around the area and takes a seat to patiently wait for something to happen. Soon she hears a door's hinges creaking open nearby. It's her mom's room, naturally, even though she just closed it earlier. As she approaches, she can hear her sobbing on the other side. Shockingly, when she pushes it open, her mom is sitting there on the side of the bed. Rose lifts the light up to her, and her mom is happy to see her, sighing her name. She coos, everything is okay, come to mama. She proceeds to apologize for being a bad mother. She tried to be good, but sometimes everything was just too much. There's something terrible inside of me, she moans. Rose cries for her to stop, and mom wants to know, is she she embarrassed of her? Rose insists that she's not, and her mom confronts her with that long-held guilt. Well, in that case, why did you let me die? Why didn't you save me? She prods. She keeps pressing her, and Rose blurts out the truth, that she wished that she would die. She admits that she was afraid of her. She was 10 years old, and she was a monster. She knows it isn't fair, but she truly needed help, and that was way too much responsibility for a child to take on. Even still, she's carried that guilt her entire life. Now is the time, she declares, it's time to let it go. She resolutely states that this isn't real. And her mom disagrees, whispering, but Rose, your mind makes it real, and begins to evilly smirk. Rose shrieks, what are you? Why are you doing this to me? The entity replies, well, because your mind is just so darn inviting. She hurries her way out of the room and mom grabs the door. She steps out now, extremely tall and much more menacingly monstrous in appearance. She just said, you're like a monster, and then she turns into one. She chases her back down the hallway, cackling in delight. Rose backs into another room and stares out, seeing nothing moving. But then mom surprises her from behind, tossing her aside. She grabs her throat, chuckling, you cannot escape your own mind. She tightens her grip. It's my mind, Rose croaks. She overpowers her, snapping her arm and bonks her in the head with the lantern, setting her ablaze. She yowls, flailing around the room and still shouts Rose's name as she's burned to a crisp. Her flaming mommy refuses to give up, still trying to grab her. Rose runs outside as the flames burst through the windows. And well, hey, burning down the house is definitely a fitting way to get over her trauma. When leaving the scene, she does appear much more calm for a change, even rolling down the window to breathe in the fresh air. Uh, she stops by Joel's place and apologizes for dragging him into this mess. She reveals that most of her life she's been afraid of letting people get too close because she was afraid of what they might see if they really looked. So she put up walls and kept everyone at a distance. That is, until she met him and could feel those walls starting to come crumbling down. It scared her and out of selfishness, she broke things off. She knows that it was not fair to him and she is so, so sorry, bro. She has another request asking if it's okay for her to just stay here and get some sleep and also could he stay and watch her. He grumbles in agreement, I'll stay with you forever. The light of the room is sucked out and he begins to eerily laugh. As it turns out, the nightmare isn't actually over. She runs out the door, finding she is back at her house and it's good as new. Well, not engulfed in flames at least. Meeting the fire and her big moment dealing with her ma never actually happened. Real Joel shows up and she shrieks, running back inside, locking the door. There's a loud thud and the giant mommy monster is back. She screams, no, while Joel kicks at the door. Mother pulls back her face, revealing a fleshy multi-mouth monster within. Rose gasps and her mouth stays stuck. Why? 
wide open. She falls to her knees, and the entity puts a finger into her mouth, stretching out her jaw to a horrific degree. It proceeds to crawl into her, making her body its new home. Just then, Joel gets the door open, yet things seem strangely quiet inside. He follows, something dripping on the floor, and comes to Rose facing away with a gas can over her head. Uh-oh. She tosses it on the ground and spins around with the trademark toothy smile on her face. She strikes the match and sets herself on fire. All Joel can do is helplessly watch the whole thing go down, which also importantly gives the curse the witness it needs to continue spreading. Alright, so where do things wind up in the end? Is it all Rose losing her marbles, or is there really a supernatural entity behind everything? Obviously the curse and everything regarding her story and everything else is a metaphor for mental illness. We see just how Rose loses herself completely to her problems, especially as less people are even willing to listen. She says that to, I think, every character in the movie. You're not listening! And even Laura says that to her, Carl says it as well, it's sort of the whole thing. You know, no one listens and they need help. That's again the whole point. As Rose sinks deeper, she becomes harder to handle, and ultimately those she depends on turn their backs. Well, everyone except Joel. It's a clear metaphor for mental illness and how much it can truly affect us. All that's fine, until the final rug pull in the ending. Rose does actually do what she had feared for so long, confronting her mother in a sense about her death and finally forgives herself to move on from her long-held guilt. But then that was yet another illusion, and ultimately she still dies even after all that. This means that the curse must actually be supernatural because that's the only thing that even makes any remote sense with the outcome. The problem though is that it definitely undercuts the main point of the movie. The ending leaves us thinking, oh well, I guess there's no way to actually overcome mental illness, so you might as well just give up. It's not exactly a great message to leave the movie on. They needed to potentially figure out a different way to end things because this ain't it. It goes for a much more traditional horror kind of outcome, and that doesn't really fit with the 90% of the movie up to that point. Just biffed it. You know, you, you biffed the landing. With that, we reach the conclusion of this ending explained for Smile. Don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows. If you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts, at Foundflix. What did you think of Smile and its ending? Was it all in her troubled mind, or was a real supernatural being responsible? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.